What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, what's going on, man? Man, we had a nail-biter tonight, didn't we? We are recording this on Monday night after the 76ers came into Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and gave the Cavs a good old-fashioned punch in the mouth. Yeah, they did, man. You know, the Cavs obviously didn't play all that well, especially on the defensive end of the floor. We've talked throughout this stretch how defense has been at the center of this turnaround, and yes, everybody's focused on the offense, and the offense has risen up the rankings, and it's more dynamic, and it's more diverse. But this is a defense-first team, and for them to give up 123 points to a 76ers team that did not have Joel Embiid and did not have Tobias Harris, who was ruled out about an hour before tip-off, you know, that's just not a good enough effort on the defensive end of the floor for a team that prides itself on defense first. Yeah, Chris, and I mean, we've talked about it at length during the break when Evan Mobley and Darius Garland were out about how Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade had stepped up tremendously on the defensive end, but Dean Wade was not on the court for the Cavs tonight, and as much as the Cavs fans used to say Dean Wade was irrelevant, I saw one of our subtexters say it actually scared him to have Dean Wade out of the lineup, and it showed. You had guys like Kelly Oubre, who had 34 points against the Cavs in his last time playing them. Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse actually came out and was shooting the rock sporadically, but it was going in. And you also had guys like Tyrese Maxey, who probably would have already been covered by Isaac Okoro, but with him not being in the starting lineup, things changed. And you got to see this defense go up against a team that was able to put it to the test. It's so interesting to me, Ethan, because, you know, I had a couple of people that responded to my post on Twitter, formerly Twitter, now X, one of these days, I'll get that right. I tweeted out that I wanted to point out that the Cavs clearly missed Dean Wade's defense. And you could tell they just weren't as strong at the point of attack. 76ers guys were driving against them and there wasn't as much resistance as there usually is. And coming around screens, there wasn't the same level of physicality and energy and intensity. And that's a big part of what makes Dean such a good defender. So I tweeted out that the Cavs clearly missed Dean Wade's defense because the 76ers were just having it come too easy for them on the offensive end. And, you know, I had somebody that responded to me and he said, if we need Wade to win, then that's a bad sign. This team still needs some toughness. Okay, like, look, I would admit, like, the Cavs should have won this game even without Dean Wade. He should not be the difference between them winning a game against the 76ers, an undermanned 76ers team, and not winning that game. Part of the reason why the Cavs lost is because they took the 76ers a little bit too lightly. They were playing the fourth game in six nights, and they looked a little bit tired, and they didn't have the same spunk on the defensive end of the floor. And even Donovan Mitchell said that we deserve to lose this game because of the way that we approached it against this caliber opponent. It's not something that we have done over this last stretch, but tonight we did. And even though we fought at the end, we ended up losing, coming up short. But the Dean Wade thing, 
for somebody to say it's a bad sign if the Cavs need Dean Wade to win, like, no, it's not a bad sign. If a team is going to play without one of its premier perimeter defenders, a guy who is in the 96th percentile of defensive estimated plus minus on ducks and threes, to feel that loss, like, it's not a poor reflection of the team. It just tries to highlight, and if you open your eyes, maybe you'll be able to see this. It highlights the importance of Dean Wade, despite the fact that his offense is going to be sporadic, his shooting is going to be sporadic. He is critical to their success on the defensive end of the floor because he can guard one through four. They switch more when he's out there. He makes things tougher against whoever it is that he's going to be guarding It means that the Cavs don't have to play George Niang as much where his defensive flaws are going to continue to show up. They can play bigger. They can play with a little bit more physicality, a little bit more strength. So, like, don't poo-poo Dean Wade just because, like, you don't want to admit just how good, and I'm saying you as in a collective, you don't want to admit just how good and important he is as a defender to this team's success. And Dean Wade's growth on the offensive end, he's shooting 40% from three-point range. I know! So it's really perplexing to me. I'm pretty high volume, too, if we're being honest. It's not like he's only taking a couple of game like Isaac Okoro or something, or Evan Mobley or something like that. He's taking close to six a game. Especially for a guy that came into the season and his sole role was to play defense. And then you had guys like Jared Allen and Donovan Mitchell screaming at him to shoot the ball because, one, they needed that confidence from him, and two, they were trying to increase the three-pointers that they were taking. So to do that and to spread the floor, they needed him to take those shots. Now, Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, Evan Mobley, all of these guys that weren't perimeter shooters at the beginning of the season, now look like they all have confidence shooting from deep. And that has changed the complexion of the Cavs' offense. And to say that Dean Wade being off the court today wasn't a sign that he holds value, not only in the locker room as a great character guy, but also on the court and also on the offensive end and also on the defensive end, which we know he's good at. Like, I think people just get lost in the ESPN stat sheet sometimes because sometimes that's all that people are looking at look i mean teams are going to struggle if if new orleans has to play long stretches without herbert jones their defense is going to suffer okay if the minnesota timberwolves have to play long stretches without rudy gobert their defense and their performance is going to suffer and you can say the same thing about draymond green in golden state and og Ananobi and victor wimbanyama And you might be saying, hey, Chris, like, why are you bringing up those premier defenders? And I would say in response to that, because the metrics point to Dean being that level of an impact defender. He is right there in the same range in this one particular category, which I put a lot of stock into because I think it's a really good stat. He is right there in this particular category amongst all those elite defenders that I named there. And I don't think there's anybody that covers the NBA, watches the NBA, that would downplay the impact that those guys that I mentioned have defensively. So just because Dean Wade may not look the part to you and he doesn't get the same shine as some of these other guys that I mentioned, and maybe he hasn't been doing it as long as some of the other guys that I mentioned, it doesn't mean that he hasn't had that kind of impactful defensive season. 
we have to start recognizing that he is that kind of impactful defender and just accept that. Yeah, Chris. And speaking of players that we do give credit to, but maybe some other outlets aren't apparently, but Donovan Mitchell, again, 36 points and just controlling the offense in the later half of the game, especially in the fourth quarter. It felt like I was so ready, Chris, to read you right. Well, this is going to be definitely hyperbole because this is how I would have written it. But Patrick Mahomes leads the Chiefs to the Super Bowl win after being down. Donovan Mitchell follows it up with his own kind of performance. Obviously, I feel like that's too much for you to write because you like to keep it within the lines and a little more sane. But (laughs) nah, Donovan was spectacular again. And Chris, I wanted you to touch on why you might think that Donovan hasn't been in the MVP conversation. And we heard it from Darius Garland talking about the entire organization doesn't get the same love as these bigger organizations like New York and LA and other things of that nature. But I think Donovan deserves to at least be in the conversation for MVP for what he's been doing, especially with the period of time where Evan Mobley and Darius Garland were out. I don't think the MVP voters really take those kind of things into account, but they need to. I think part of it has to do with, and and this is in no defense to people that are having these kinds of conversations on a daily basis or a semi-daily basis, because he belongs in the conversation. If you're going to put Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the conversation because of what he's done for Oklahoma City and how much of a central force he is to their offense, like Donovan is putting up numbers very, very similar, and his team has had very similar success. So like the arguments that exist for Shea exist for Donovan as well. They are very, very comparable. So to look at some of these lists and see Shea 2 and Donovan 7, like there's that much of a gap between those two guys? I don't think so. I get it. It's hard, okay? It's the MVP. You're talking about the best of the best. In some cases, you feel like you're almost disrespecting elite players because you have to find something that separates one from the other, and it comes across as maybe being overly critical of these guys. And I totally get how difficult it is to have any kind of conversation about MVP and talk about like eight or nine guys, right? You try and narrow it down as much as you can. And the focus right now is on Jokic, SGA, Luka, Giannis. It's just, to me, Donovan belongs in that conversation because of the Cavs' success, because of the way that he has improved as a defensive player as well. So he's doing it at both ends of the court. And because the Cavs are a completely different team, the numbers support this, the Cavs are a completely different team with him on the court versus when he's off the court. And to me... There is no greater measure of value, which it's most valuable player. There's no greater measure to value than what this guy does for his team on a nightly basis and what happens when he's not on the floor with this group. And I just think, again, the the reasoning behind it is, is a little bit flawed in my estimation. And I think when the Cavs started off slow, the way that they did this year, coming off the poor playoff performance against New York, People were just like, all right, forget the Cavs. We don't have to pay attention to them. They're the same team that they were last year when they got bounced out of the first round against the New York Knicks. And I just think it has taken people a little bit too long at this point to catch up to the fact that the Cavs aren't the same team that they were 
in October and November, and they are an elite team in the NBA, a legitimate contender that has a guy playing at the highest level that he's ever played in his entire career. Yeah, Chris, and Donovan Mitchell has time and time again has proven that he's able to step up in the big moments, has been able to close out games, has been exactly what the Cavs thought he could be when they went and got him in that trade deal just two years ago. But we need to talk about tonight's game and how it unfolded. But before then, I want to tease the fans a little bit. We're going to take a little break, but I got to put our subscribers on to something new first. For our listeners, if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine Drink CLE, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen, quench your thirst, and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to talk a little bit more about the final few minutes in the Cavs' loss to the 76ers and how everything shook out. But before we come back, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Chris, can you tell the fans a little bit more about Subtext? Certainly can. It's just a way for you to be a part of a Cavs insider community and get news, information, and analysis from myself and Ethan during games, on off days, following practice, following shoot-around. As the game goes on, you can have a running dialogue with myself and Ethan We'll respond to you. Some of the things that you point out to us will respond to you, and that goes straight to your phone. And some of the stuff that we post on subtext doesn't make its way to X, which is formerly Twitter. So it's reserved just for you so that you get that inside information. Earlier today, I talked about Craig Porter Jr. being out of the lineup against the 76ers and how a source tells me that Porter hasn't quite reached his 50-game limit, but he's very, very, very close. And that's the most that he's allowed to play with the Cavs based on his two-way contract so that the Cavs are trying to preserve those games and those days, especially with the idea that he's not going to be in the rotation since Darius Garland is back. So that's the kind of information that you get, the behind the scenes stuff that obviously doesn't make its way all the time to X, formerly Twitter. So if you want to sign up and you feel like you're missing out on any kind of Cavs coverage, we've got you covered that way. And to get that insight, go ahead and sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and me. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Chris, the Cavs versus 76ers game came down to the last shot. And it was a chaotic play leading up to it. Donovan Mitchell had the ball, drove to the paint, and got a little bit of a rejection, and then got his own rebound and kicked out to a wide-open Darius Garland, who took a shot that usually he would make. The Cavs are confident that 10 out of 10 times they would want him to take that shot. And 10 out of 10 times, J.B. Bickerstaff said that he would want Donovan Mitchell to take to the lane like he did. Darius Garland even mentioned post game that 
the reason he feels like he came up a little bit short was because on his previous couple corner threes, he had been long. So he pulled back just a little bit and it came up a little bit short. So it's kind of like an even game. It was really interesting to hear him talk about what was going through his head at the end of that. But Chris, the game came down to the last minute. They were down 10 points and were scrapping all the way back. What did you think about the resiliency of this team, even though they didn't start out as hot as they usually do? Yeah, I mean, for them to be down by 10 with 90 seconds to go, basically, and have an opportunity to win the game in the final seconds, I think that speaks volumes about the character of this team. I think it speaks volumes about the fight of this team. And I also think, Ethan, it was good for them to be back in this situation where they were playing against a talented team in a competitive environment with more pressure on them, more stress. There wasn't as much freedom. It's not like they were playing against the Wizards and the San Antonio Spurs and some of these other teams that they've beaten up on during this stretch. So for them to be back in that environment where possessions matter, execution is important, attention to detail, focus, all that stuff was at a premium. I think it's good because for like the last six weeks, they've been decimating teams. They've been winning by double digits most of the time. They haven't been in clutch situations. They haven't been in too many competitive games. Coming into tonight's game over the last 19, they trailed for less than 200 minutes out of a total of 900 plus. I thought it was good for them to be in this kind of situation. It would have been better for them had they finished off the rally and made that corner three-pointer, but I thought their execution down the stretch was good. I thought the decision-making down the stretch was good. I thought they got quality shot attempts down the stretch as well. And on top of that, they showed the kind of fight and determination and competitiveness that you want from a team, despite the fact that it seemed like they were going to lose the game and their streak was going to end as soon as Kelly Oubre Jr. hit that three-pointer that put Philadelphia up by 10. Yeah, and it was a back and forth all throughout the beginning of the game. And to see that they kind of pulled away a little bit and then you would think like the Cavs might have been thinking, oh, well, it's like Donovan Mitchell said, it's just a blip in the radar. We're just going to let it slip away. That's fine. But no, they fought back the entire time, and they worked very, very gritty. Like, I enjoyed watching how hard they played on both ends of the floor. I enjoyed watching J.B. Bickerstaff making substitutions on offensive and defensive situations to try and put the best team on the floor for each scenario. And I liked watching them try and come up with plays to basically win the game. Like they had multiple different times where they had a timeout called and had time to go set something up. I think those are the situations that the Cavs need, especially when fans keep talking about playoffs and we keep talking about the things that are going to matter in coaching situations and lineup adjustments and rotations. And like you said, they haven't been in these kind of situations as of late because they've been blowing teams out of the water. But, I mean, I think it's really important for them to have just even seen this. And I don't think a loss is a bad thing because going into the All-Star break with 11 wins in a row if they beat Chicago on Wednesday would have been a daunting task to come back and start. And we were talking about how the All-Star break could have thrown the rhythm off. Now they don't have as much of a monkey on their back to try and continue. Now it's basically just get back on the horse. I say that, but if they lose to the Bulls on Wednesday... That's a different story. 
Some really good minutes from Darius Garland tonight, too. He played 31. He's going to remain on a bit of a limit for the Chicago game, but but I'm told after All-Star, the hope is and the belief is that both Darius Garland and, and Evan Mobley are going to have much of their restriction lifted. And that's going to be another challenge for J.B. Bickerstaff to navigate in terms of his rotations and his minutes and seeing if he can play all these guys who are deserving. But Darius played good minutes tonight, closed out the game well. He had that brilliant stretch in the third quarter where the Cavs went on a 12-2 to run to retake the lead against Philadelphia. And during that stretch of those 12 points, Darius accounted for every single one of them. He had three assists and he had two made shots. The thing that stands out to me, Ethan, is that, you know, nobody's talking about Philadelphia as like the Minnesota Timberwolves on the defensive end of the floor. But they have long guys on the perimeter. They've got athletic guys on the perimeter. They've got handsy dudes on the perimeter. And for Darius to have nine assists and zero turnovers in 31 minutes, turnovers being a big-time bugaboo for him at the beginning of the season, it shows that he's getting back into the speed of the game, right? He's seeing things a little bit quicker. He's not a half-step behind the way that he was when he first came back from the fractured jaw. So his timing is getting better, his rhythm is getting better, his understanding is getting better, his attention to detail is getting better. He's not to the point where he was before he suffered that fractured jaw, but you're seeing signs of him getting closer and closer and closer. 21 points, 9 assists, 0 turnovers. If you're going to focus on the fact that he missed the shot from the corner and you don't think he's got the clutch gene, then okay, that's fine. But I feel like you're missing a lot of really good flashes from Darius tonight that were a reminder of how impactful he can be for this team and how talented he is. And if he can get himself back into form in the second half of the season going into the playoff run, he can be an absolute weapon, especially on the offensive end for this team. Yeah, Chris, and he mentioned that He didn't feel like he's had that game where he can say, I'm back yet, but he definitely felt happy with the shot that he got and the shot that he took to end the game. And Donovan Mitchell said he agreed with that. J.B. Bickerstaff said he agreed with that. And they both used the phrase 10 out of 10, they would take that shot again. And I think it's really important for confidence coming back, especially for a guy like Darius who didn't want to step on toes when he was coming back or didn't want to affect the flow of things going on. That was the most important for me was for him to get his confidence back. And the fun thing about Darius is I don't think there's ever a time where I haven't seen him smiling when he's playing. And it feels like he's just so happy to be back on the court. And especially you take away something that somebody has done their entire life. Like it changes how you look at the game because you think about you might only get this opportunity so many times and things of that nature. And Darius is so young. He talked about wanting to get that shot again, wanting to have the opportunity to take last minute, last second shots to close out games because I haven't covered this team long enough to know this, but that's the first game-winning shot or game-potentially-winning shot that I've seen Darius take. And if that's the first one and there's a whole lot more to go in his career, then I think he handled it pretty well for it being a miss, knowing that he'll get the opportunity to do it a lot more as his career progresses. Because 
this is a guy like we already consider him one of the top point guards in the league when it comes to certain categories. And you think about how much room he has to grow. You always talk about Evan Mobley and his high potential ceiling. But Darius Garland is another guy that like once he gets comfortable back in the system, once he gets to where he wants to be, there are definitely levels that he can click into. And it's just only the beginning for him. Well, yeah, to some degree it is. But I mean, we can't pretend like he's a rookie or anything along those lines. He's he's had clutch opportunities throughout the course of his career, both before Donovan Mitchell got here and since Donovan got here. And the numbers are not friendly to Darius. If we're being perfectly honest, the numbers in, in clutch time are, are not friendly to Darius. And it's something that he's going to have to continue to work through. It's something that he's going to have to continue to learn from. But that was a great shot that he got at the end of the game. It looked good. He said it felt good. He just left it short. At some point during his career, he's going to have to start to come through a little bit more consistently in end-of-game situations. I think one of the good things for this team is that while Darius is still not at that level, because he's not at that level, Donovan Mitchell is. And Donovan Mitchell is the closer for this team, and he can be the closer for this team, and he has come through in big-time moments for this team a number of different times. So he can take those pressure shots, right? And if teams are going to start to load up on Donovan and try and get the ball out of his hands or something like that, then maybe that's going to free up Darius for an easier shot attempt or an easier drive to the basket. Or maybe that frees up Max Struess for a more open look. I don't think it's a situation where the Cavs say, okay, we've got Donovan in end-of-game situations He's got to be the creator and the finisher every single time, right? If the opportunity is there for Donovan and he's got a clean look or even a semi-contested look or he's got an alley to the basket the way that he did tonight, then the ball's going to be in his hands and he's going to make the play. But the play doesn't always have to be a shot. Sometimes it can be a pass to Darius or sometimes it can be a pass to Max Struess. But if Darius is going to be on the receiving end of those kinds of opportunities from Donovan, he's got to come through a little bit more than what he has throughout the course of his career. It's something that I think can allow him potentially to take the next step in terms of his development and maybe then get into the conversation with some of the elite point guards that are probably a little bit higher than him on a ranking system at this point in time. For sure. And I think the trust will continue to grow and the confidence will continue to grow because a lot of these Cavs guys are still young. So we'll get to see them develop and continue to grow in their games. But with that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.